folks in every area, there's always openings. I know we've got some Awana spots. I know we've got some tech spots and parking spots and chair team spots. Let's give a big, if you're enjoying not standing right now, could I hear a big, yeah, something like that. That'll work. This blows some people's minds, but our chairs don't set themselves out. It takes a team. Um, so yeah, stop by Guest Central, join us for um, Circle Up, Circle Out, all that happens there. So good deal. So today, if you're new, my name's Weston, glad you're here. Um, and we're starting a new series in the book of Daniel uh, as we look really at work and worship, this intersection of faith and what a lot of people call real life. And it is my prayer that Sunday mornings inform your Monday mornings, and that what we talk about today will stick with you this week in some way, shape, or form. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground in this series. We're going to use some terms that we don't use a lot in the world because I think, uh, I think we need to learn these terms. I think we need to use them because I think they're going to be helpful. Um, how many of you are note takers in the app? This is just an informal... I got a couple. Yeah, you noticed there weren't notes. This, oh, man, there's a lot more than I thought. All right, I'm having to rethink this. Because I just, last week when I sort of called an audible, I just felt I felt tied down. I felt restricted by it. And now, now I don't know. I'm going to just, just pray for me. All right, here we go. Um, here's what we're talking about. We're going to talk about these different things. So one of the words we're thinking about is sacred. This is something holy dedicated to God alone, not associated with the world. This is like the Ark of the Covenant that you saw sort of being taken out there. Uh, that's when we think of sacred, that's what we're talking about. Secular, this is something belonging to the world, not associated with God, not associated with the church. These are the kind of two terms I think that, that we have in our minds and we've used these terms. And I think we, we like these words because they, they give us sort of two sets of rules with which to live life by. A set of rules that govern life on Sunday morning from about 10.30 to noon, um, and then uh, secular, that's everything else that's not that. And so we like this because it gives us a bit of sort of a different set of, of um, you know, operating parameters with which to conduct our life by. But the truth is, is that work is good. Uh, if you read through the book of Genesis, you will notice that Adam is given a job before the fall, which means that work is not part of the curse. The curse is that the work Adam does after the fall is harder and does not produce uh, equal to the amount of his labor. You, you and I, we can all feel that moment, like where you've worked really hard on something all day long and you're like, this is all I've got to show for it. That is a result of the curse. Uh, but work was part of God's plan. And my kids are tired of me saying this, but I picked this up from Tony Evans and it's true. You know, before God gave Adam a wife, he gave him a job. And I think that's just good life advice, okay? Just, just hang on to that. Just sort of internalize that. Make that part of your mantra. If you're a young person looking to get married, just say, before God gave Adam a wife, he gave him a job. Um, and I think that works both ways, so it works good. Hang on to that. Hold on to it. So um, how does this all work? What, what are we looking at? What we're trying to do is see work as worship. Uh, the, the nine to five to be something that is actually divine, that is something that is actually sacred. So here's our theme verse for this. I know it's long, but I think this would be really good for us to sort of internalize and memorize. So let's, 
Let's try saying it together. Work willingly. Hold, hold on, hold on. Let's try it again, but, but do it willingly, okay? Like it, like it says. All right. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. If you just were to memorize this and like really live it out, it would be a game changer. It really would. If you were to really go in tomorrow to work, to school, whatever you find yourself doing, and you worked willingly at it, that's, that's key, as though you were working for God and that you were doing it out of gratitude for this inheritance and that the, the master, the boss you were serving is Christ, it would change your attitude. It would change the way you think about work. It would change the energy that you bring to work. It would change the excellence that you want for in your work because you would start to see work as worship. And wouldn't that be amazing for people to say, man, you know what? I, I would love to hire more people that follow Jesus because they work diligently hard and with excellence. Man, that's, I think, what Paul's getting at here. He wants us to be people that view work as worship. But there's a question, I think, that that is out there in a lot of people's minds, and this might be your question, is like, does it actually work this way? Like, if I were to view work as worship, if I were to, you know, follow the principles of Jesus inside of, of the, the, the shop, the boardroom, the, the business room, wherever you find yourself, would it work well? And that's why we're looking at the book of Daniel. Because Daniel has... Uh, an entirely secular job. And we find him and his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are all uh, people who are working in the world. And yet we're going to see as we go through this series that the principles of faithfulness are principles of excellence that, um, that work really well. And you might really hate your boss, but I will bet this, that your boss has not done a few things. One, your boss is probably not invited you to bow down to a golden statue of him or her probably hasn't said hey today we're all going to bow down to a statue of me because it's such an awesome statue and i'm such an awesome person and if not we're going to throw you into a furnace uh, i bet like as bad as your job is that's probably not something that you're up against uh, not only that, I, I bet that you know, you've not been called out and said, you know, you've got to not ever pray in your life. And if you pray, I'm going to feed you to hungry lions. Um, you know, that's probably not happened either. So as secular as you think your job is, Daniel's is more secular. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's job is more secular. And it's more hostile. So there's going to be some principles in here I think we can all grab a hold of. So we've got to understand this because... This is the setting for Daniel. This isn't just some Sunday school story. It is real life for these folks. So let's, let's, get, let's get into it. It says, the king ordered Ashpenaz. Now, who's the king? This is the king of Babylon. He has captured all of the Jewish folks. He's captured the, uh, the, the kingdom of Judah. He's imported them. He's brought them in via captivity to his land. And he's ordering Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into his service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect. 
So who's getting called in? Of these, of these uh, captives, uh, the king has said, hey, listen, why don't we get the very best? Let's get the, let's get the most attractive. Let's get the most connected. Let's get the folks who are used to dealing with good resources. Let's bring them in. And here's what we're going to do. If they're handsome, if they show aptitude for every kind of learning, if they're well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace, we're going to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. That's what's going to happen. The king says, I want you to find all of the very best. I want you to bring in for me uh, these folks, and I want you to give them uh, a daily portion of the royal rations of food and wine. So he's saying, I want you to, to set them up good. I want you to uh, educate them for three years. So he's going to give them you know, college education. At the end of that time, they're going to be stationed in my court. So there's a lot of folks that come over in captivity and have a lot worse assignment than this. These are folks who are eating from the king's table, going to be in the king's service. This is a plush appointment for somebody who's been brought over in captivity. Now, let's get the picture, right? We've got these young men. These are the, um, the captains of the team. These are the student body presidents. These are the valedictorians. These are the, you know, very elite cream of the crop Israelites that have been brought in. These are folks who, they're, they're smart, they're attractive, they've got good personalities, uh, they are there. And here's where they find themselves. They find themselves in a foreign land. They don't know their boss. They don't know their neighbors. It's like if, if you had been you know, plucked up from Bowling Green and taken to New York City. This is what's happened. And so now you've got all these young men who are talented, you know, capable. You know, and you've got to ask yourself this question. How faithful would you find yourself in this place? How faithful would you be in a place where nobody knows your name? Where, where people don't know who you are, they, they, you know, they've got a different standard for living, where they look at you and they go, man, you know, you're an attractive guy. You, you've got, you know, you're successful. You know, there's, you're going to be positioned in the king's court. What kind of life choices would you make in these moments and in these places? Here's the thing. There's a lot of passes in life to compromise. There are a lot of passes in life to compromise. You, you may or may not believe me, but, but here's what I know, is that the world gives a pass to talented people with, with success. How, how do I know that? Well, I mean, let's just imagine a few scenarios, right? You've got, you've got a guy who is, you know, your star player. You know, he's, he's your star player on your, on your team, on your basketball team. And he, you know, he fouls out and he comes over to the sideline and he kicks over three or four chairs and he, you know, he knocks something over and bumps into somebody. What's going to happen? You got all the little team managers going to come out. They're going to clean things up and he's just going to go sit back down and that's how it's going to be. But imagine being the third string player doing the same type of thing. What's going to happen? The coach is going to take you out later and say, hey, listen, that better not happen again. If it does, you're off the team. What's the difference? It's the talent. It's the success. The world gives a pass, a compromise for those who are successful. If you're successful, you can get away with things. If you're anonymous, you can get away with things. I mean, it, it, just, just look at the internet, right? People say things to others. They post things uh, online. Why? Because, because nobody knows who they are. You know, good luck finding Dark Star 74, you know, 9. You know, you're not going to find that person, okay? You wouldn't say the things that you post online to somebody's face. But man, if it's anonymous, man, I, I get a pass to do whatever I want, to say whatever I want, to look at whatever 
I want. The world gives a lot of passes to compromise. Success, anonymity, wealth. You know, there is a whole different scenario. Uh, good luck trying to navigate the legal system. Why is it that folks who can afford, you know, nationally renowned attorneys get shorter uh, sentences and, you know, better judgments in their favor? It's because of money, okay? You know, wealth, it buys us a whole lot of things in life. You know, we don't want to talk too much about it, right? Because it makes us uncomfortable. But race, the same type of thing, right? You know, statistically, uh, white folks, that's, as I look around, that's most of us here, I see. You know, there's a, a past within our, our legal system that, that gets us things. That's not right, but it's there. The world gives a lot of passes for people. Successful, anonymous, the right race. You look the right, the right way. You know, wealth, beauty, a lot of things get us a pass in life. And perhaps you found yourself in one of these scenarios where your particular talent or your particular success or your particular race or your resources or your connections have provided for you a pass to compromise. Maybe it's a travel schedule that gives you a dose of anonymity. Whatever it is, you found yourself in this moment and you go, you know what, I've got an opportunity. I have a pass to compromise. If so, then you probably can relate to Daniel. But here's the thing with Daniel and his friends. They don't have one of these passes. They've got like all of these passes. They've got all of these passes to compromise. And we're going to focus on these four guys. But here's the truth. There's a lot more than the four. Why is it that we only know about these four? Is it because these are the only four that were faithful of all of the, of the guys from Judah that had brought, been brought into the king's service? Is that possible? Absolutely. Maybe these were the only four who said, you know what? I'm not going to compromise. You see, Daniel says this, I'm going to be faithful. Because faithfulness is always the right choice. We're going to see that proved out in his life time and time again. Now, we understand that there's a lot of passes to compromise. And don't hear me saying that this is a good thing. It's just reality. It's just how it is. But it's not just that there's passes to compromise. We are actually invited to conform. Our culture and every culture calls us to conform. If you don't fit in, you're left out. You need to, to look this way, act this way, talk this way, be this way if you're going to fit into our culture. We see this in Daniel's life. Daniel here, uh, we've looked at this verse, but he's assigned these daily provisions from the royal food, from the wine that was drank, um, and he's going to be trained in this training of the king. Now, Here's the thing with this food, is it does not line up with Daniel's belief system. I know for us, we don't have a lot of ethical problems with food. I mean, some folks, I know you're vegan, you're, you're really troubled about the plight of, of factory-raised chickens or, or whatever, and, and my heart goes out to them, but until, you know, we figured out, I'm still at KFC, you know, I'm sorry, it's just, it's just me, I just choose not to think about it. I'm not saying that's right, it's just who I am. Um, it's that past the compromise. Ignorance is bliss. So, um, so, but here for Daniel, he's got some real spiritual problems with this food. Because, you know, they're serving pork or they're serving shellfish or they're serving cheeseburgers. All of these things are not kosher. And for Daniel to say, I'm going to eat this, means that he is going to deny God's plan for his life. He said, God has said, listen, I need you to keep yourself holy for these reasons. We're not going to get into why that is. It just is the way that it is in Daniel's time. Thank goodness we live in the new covenant, amen? Um, so Daniel, though, however, finds himself in this place where to deny these food you know, restrictions would be to deny his faith. 
And yet here he is. You got Daniel and his friends are there. And yet all the other Israelites are what? They're lined up at the buffet. They go, well, when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians. It's not just food, though. Notice this. It says, among them from the Judah Heights were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief eunuch gave them names. He gave the name Belteshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. I'm not sure that those were an upgrade, uh, but they got new names. Now, what is the deal with this? They're saying, man, listen, you're in a new place. Let's get rid of these old names. You're a new person now. You're one of us. Uh, the names for these three friends here down here, it's kind of fuzzy what those mean, but Daniel's name is actually pretty clear. Daniel's name in Hebrew uh, means God is my judge. But in the Babylonian language, this name, Belteshazzar, means Bel. That's the god of the Babylonians. Uh, Bel protects my life. Do you, do you see the significance of this? Daniel's name in Hebrew says, God is my judge. This one says there's a foreign name. This is not Yahweh, but Bel, the god Bel. He protects my life. Daniel's been given a whole new name, a, a very pagan name. And they're saying, this is who you're going to be now. You're, god isn't judging you anymore. You're now under the protection of Bel. This is where Daniel finds himself, in this place where his identity is challenged, his ethics are challenged, his standards are challenged. And, and I don't have to say this to you, but I'm sure that you've been in places, whether it's school or the workplace, where there is something in your life, some standard that you have that's challenged. Maybe it's, it's language. Maybe it's the way that you, uh, you know, how honest you are. Maybe it's the jokes you tell. Maybe it's the videos and the other things you pass around and watch. Maybe it's the quality of your work. Maybe it's the way you use your time. You know, maybe it's the way that you conform to that culture because you are in that secular place. And you go, you know, these are just the rules. In this place, my name is Belteshazzar. On Sunday morning, it's Daniel. I, I, I understand. You know, it seems that we are, again, forced to conform in so many places. I mean, I, I've, you know, I've talked to a lot of folks who work in a lot of different places. I've heard people say, you know, it's not just enough to work hard. You know, we've also got to sort of kind of, you know, mess with these, these numbers and, and, and kind of present things in a way that's not, you know, it's not dishonest, but it's not, you know, super clear. You know, I, I, I hear that. I hear from folks, you know, hey, listen, it's not just enough to, to kind of work hard. If you, if you want to get ahead, you've got to schmooze. And sometimes that involves some things that, you know, I'm not super comfortable with, but that's just the name of the game. I heard this. I mean, I hear these things. I hear these things from people who say, you know what, uh, where I'm working, uh, you know, there's kind of code in the shop that, you know, it's like, hey, take it easy. If you work too hard, you make the rest of us look bad. I mean, that's, that's the world in which we live. That's, that's a culture in, in a business and a workplace calling people to conformity. Daniel's in this spot. He's, he's given a new diet. He's given a new name. And, and here's a, a great opportunity for him to say, you know what? I guess I'm just, you know, I'm just, I am where I am. But he says, you know what? You, you can change my name, but you've not changed who I am. You've not changed my identity. You've not changed what's important to me. Church, if we want to embrace this and, and choose faithfulness like Daniel does, We've got to do a few things. We've got to realize that we've got to define our commitments. That's the thing I find so impressive about Daniel, is he knows who he is. He knows what's important to him. He, he comes into this and he says, all right, 
I, I understand that there's this new game and there's some new rules, but there's some places I will not compromise. There are some commitments I will not break. He's not going to allow this new job to change him. He's not going to allow a difference in geography or anonymity or success or, or, or his, his looks or any of these things. He's not going to allow any of that to give him a pass to compromise. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want to go there. He wants to remain committed. And the question for all of us is, what about us? Are we going to be the kind of people who are defined by our commitments? Are we going to be faithful to those commitments? Once we do that, we've got to then trust God's care. If we say, all right, God, this is what you're calling me to do. This is who you're calling me to be. This is what you've asked me to do. Uh, I'm going to trust that if I live life your way, God, that you're going to take care of me. That's ultimately, we're going to see that play out in, in the life of Daniel and his friends constantly. They're going to say, you know what, listen, I, I don't know how this shakes out, but I know that being faithful is always the right choice. I know that being faithful is always the right choice. And I'll tell you, that's true in our relationship with God and really in every relationship, in every workplace. I started thinking about faithfulness coming out of that Artisan Soul series. I started thinking about all the people who are really excellent and good at stuff. And we talked about that that week. We looked at craft. You know, excellence is not an accident. It comes through faithful practice and working hard. It, that's what happens. Faithfulness produces excellence. It produces it in our relationship. It produces it in our work. And Daniel says, you know what? We're just going to be faithful. We're going to be committed to God. We're going to be committed to working hard. We're going to do what God's called us to do because that's the kind of life I want to live. Daniel says, man, I've, I've charted my course and I'm going to pursue it. Now, here's the thing I love about Daniel and his friends. They understand that this does not mean success. Time and time again, they're going to say, hey, listen, you know what? I, I don't know how this shakes out, but I know this is what I have to do. And there might be an opportunity in here where, you know, God could deliver me, and maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, but I know that I'm going to be faithful to him. But what's the point? The point is this, is that as we commit to being faithful, as we hone in on our commitments and we trust God's care, what we can end up doing at the end of the day is saying, you know what, I've lived the kind of life I want to live, and we can finish out the day and say, you know what, I've got no regrets for how I've acted for what I've said. Daniel's committed to this. He's committed and he believes that God's way is the best way. So he's, he's going to test it out. Uh, here we see it says, but Daniel resolved. I love this word. He, he is settled. He is committed. Daniel's resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And so what does he do? He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. You get the sense that it's kind of a conversation. As a matter of fact, it's, it's a test. Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over him, he said, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then compare. Compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. Daniel says, listen, I believe that God's way is the best way. And I believe that if I live my life and I conduct myself and treat my body in this way and I treat my soul in this way, I believe that in 10 days you're going to look at me and you're going to say, man, you look better, you're acting better, you're feeling better than you did before. And I'll tell you, Daniel is committed to this. He's, he's saying, listen, this is the commitment. I trust God's care and I'm willing to enter into conversation with you, Mr. Chief Official. I'm going to allow you to look at this and say, hey, you know what? It worked. Here's the problem I think we have as Christians, and I really want you to hear this. 
we, we live in a time and a place, and I think we're coming out of this, where we've looked at what God has said in the Bible, and we've said, well, it's true because it's in the Bible. I think the opposite is actually true. It's in the Bible because it's true. Do you see this, the difference in that? If we're going, well, it, it's true because it's in the Bible. It, it, what if instead we had this attitude like Daniel and said, well, no, it's in the Bible because it's true. God has asked us to do this because it is the best way. I'm not choosing to do this just because it's printed in this book. I just know that it's printed in this book because it is the best way for me to live. And so I'm going to choose faithfulness. That's what Daniel does. Not only that, but he works positively to shape his culture. That's the other thing I love about Daniel and his friends. They are actually working with these folks. Uh, we're going to see later that Daniel, he's actually going to save the lives of these people. You know, they understand that their work is their witness. Friends, God's excellence is noticed in their lives by people who don't know the name of God. Daniel's life is exceptional, and he's going to work for the good of this Babylonian king, for this pagan kingdom. He's going to do his best. He's going to excel as a manager, as a leader. Why? Because he knows who he is. He's trusting God's care, and he's going to work positively to shape the culture and the workplace in which he lives. Finally, I love this. It's just, he keeps things simple. He keeps things simple. I, we live in a time of nuance, and I, there's a lot of things that are nuanced. I totally know that, and I get that. But often we love to add qualifiers to things, disclaimers. You know, anytime you start a sentence with something like, well, you know, it's not stealing technically if or I technically didn't lie. Anytime you use that word technically, it means you did, you know. That's, that's just reality. We get into this place where we like to sort of disclaim things and say, well, you know, that could have been worse, or it could have been this or that or that. You know, that's, that's not how God works. He says, you know, hey, I want you to love me. I want you to love your neighbor. I want you to act in love. I want you to act in care and compassion. Ten Commandments, they're, they're pretty clear too, right? They're like, don't steal. Like, what's that mean? It means don't take something that's not yours, right? Don't lie. You know, don't murder. You know, that, that one's kind of clear, right? You can't like half murder somebody. Um, you know, but it's like, do not do these things. And yet when it comes to our life and we're going to move into the secular society, we're like, well, you know, it's, it's kind of a little different over here. And we start to nuance and humana humana all over the things. And you know what? If we just keep it simple, we call things what they are, guess what? It's a lot easier. Daniel just boils it down. He says, hey, test us 10 days. You decide. Let's see how it goes. Simple, easy peasy. Daniel knows that the path of least resistance was, in fact, the safe path, right? It's the easiest path. If Daniel just came in and got in line with the food, had the food, done the program, you know, he would have said, man, that's fine. You know, listen, that is a time-honored tradition to take what the king picks, to do what your boss tells you to do, you know, and to challenge nothing. And yet Daniel says, you know what? No, that's not who I am. I've got some commitments. I've got a different way of living because he understands that there isn't actually a difference between these two things. There isn't a, a different set of rules for sacred and a different set of rules for the secular. It's the same thing. You know, here's the thing. These words, sacred and secular, if you look them up, they were actually um, first used to describe the priesthood. And what's funny is the sec sacred priest was the priest who lived like in the monastery. The secular priest was the priest who lived in the world. But guess what? They were both priests. They were both God's representative. They were both 
people who God had sent into a community to communicate his love and his truth. And yet over time, we've sort of you know, lost sight of what that is. But if we want to go back to that original definition, guess what? That works. We're all in that effect then, I guess, secular priests, right? Because we all live in the world. We all have to go to the grocery store. We all have to encounter folks and deal with people who maybe aren't Christ followers. You know, you work in what? In a secular workplace as what? A secular priest called by God, sent by God to be faithful, to show his love and his principles as being the best, as being the absolute best. That's what we're going to get into as we go through this series. We're going to say, God, we want to learn what your way is to live. God, we want to know what it is you're calling us to because we know, Lord, that if we follow your way, it's the best way. So I want to challenge you to, to stick this out with us for the next, uh, I think we're in this one for another four or five weeks. Join us for this. If you work in a place that isn't a church or Christ, Christian faith-based environment, man, we're going to be looking at all sorts of different things that I think are going to be relevant and helpful for you. So, so plan on joining us for that. This morning as the worship team comes out, I want to, I want to invite you to, to think about this. To, to simply say, you know, I think step one for us is to say, God, I'm willing to take you at your word. God, I'm willing to give this a shot. And, and so this morning, as we sing this song, I want you to, to pray about that. Say, God, is there an area in my life where I've been compromising? God, is there a place in my life where I have not been faithful? Is there a place where I'm conforming? And then say, God, would you give me the strength to know how to, to do that differently? Would you give me the courage to try it your way? This morning, um, I want to give you that chance to kind of start over, to take God at his word and to say, you know, God, we're going to do this your way. I'm going to be down here. I'd love to pray with you. Uh, we leave the baptistry open. It's, it's kind of a chance to just remind you that you've got every Sunday morning this chance to have a fresh start with God. Every day you have that chance. You can come up and just say, you know what, man, I, I'm somebody new in Christ Jesus. If that's you this morning, man, we just want to invite you to take that time to say, you know, this week, I'm going to take you at your word, God. I'm going to try it your way, and I'm going to see what happens. Why don't you stand? I want to pray. Lord, thank you so much for the witness of Daniel's life. God, thank you for the witness of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God. In some ways, Lord, it's a shame these stories have become so familiar because we've, we've, we've viewed them as children's stories, as something that we tell kids, but God, they are so relevant for anybody for all of us, God, who live in the real world. And so, God, for all my brothers and sisters who are here who, who don't work in a faith-based place, God, I know that the challenge is in many ways even harder. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd give them the strength and the courage to be faithful the way that Daniel was. We ask this in your name, Jesus.